When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. He lets fly. Hazel's bowled! Shamar Joseph has bowled the West Indies to the most romantic of victories. And one of the truly great upsets in Test cricket history. He's off on a lap of honour. <laughs> it's a win and events that will reverberate right through international cricket. Well, yes, at a time when we are about to embark on a series against the South African C-Team, Test Cricket received a real shot in the arm yesterday with the two best sides in the world losing on home soil within hours of each other. England scored a tremendous come-from-behind victory with our Baz's mentality itched all through it. And then, of course, the West Indies stole the show completely in Brisbane, Joseph took 7 for 68 as the West Indies bowled Australia out for 207 to win the second test by a dramatic margin of eight runs. One of the voices you heard in that little highlights package was our next guest, SEN commentator Adam White. And Adam, even the voice of you beautiful Australians had a bit of excitement, I think, I could hear coming through it and seeing the West Indies and the romance that surrounds that victory yesterday, mate. How are you? And welcome into the show. Yeah, great to be part of the program. Just even listening back to it from yesterday, it's still hard to believe that it actually happened. And I don't think there's any doubt there was some excitement around what took place yesterday because when the West Indies are up and about, playing with the I guess the passion the emotion and the freedom that they play with when it works it's intoxicating you can't help get that but get swept up in it all and there were so many terrific storylines through I think both matches but particularly um, at the Gabba it was just so great to see and you just said before it's a shot in the arm for test cricket and I think it's a reminder to everybody just that this is the the most special Um, type of cricket to be played and clearly the best and I just keep thinking to myself I think there are a lot of people in high places in cricket that have been asleep at the wheel and and not putting enough time and effort um, into test cricket and uh, we saw some brilliant cricket not only here at uh, here in Brisbane but also as you you said as well over in India Um, and I think we'll see some great cricket when Australia travel over to to take on New, New Zealanders. Yeah, there's some excitement building about that one, mate. There's some excitement around some of the storylines that you mentioned that we'll dive into shortly. But just firstly, you mentioned at the start, obviously, when the West Indies are up and about and they're showing the passion, 
That is great cricket to watch. Is this is this the beginning of something? Have you seen enough? Obviously, Joseph stole the show, but was there enough elsewhere in this Windies team to think, yep, the days of them being the whipping boys of Test cricket and are gone again? And we, there might be there might be an era of the Windies, not necessarily to the heydays that uh, we all hear about, but uh, just something for them to get behind now. Well, I think the the key for me is that over the last two years, we've had the West Indies come to Australia to play two test matches. Now, when they came last summer, they came just before Christmas, um, they looked disinterested. It looked like there were players in that team that really didn't want to be there, that they would prefer to be playing T20 cricket, um, you know, franchise cricket somewhere else where they get paid really well. They didn't seem to have that that real passion for the cause. Now, this time around, and we were told this before the West Indies came, that this group of young men wanted to be there playing test cricket for the West Indies. And that so this was a different feel to the group. They were very young and very inexperienced, but they all wanted to be there. And that's how they played. So to answer your question, is it a sign that the West Indian cricket, you know, West Indian cricket is back? I think in a way, yes. I'm not sure that they're quite good enough to be able to do what they did against Australia on a regular basis. My concern is more their batting than their bowling. Their bowling is world-class. What Shamar Joseph did in just his second match, he was bowling 145 to 150 kilometre hour thunderbolts. You know, for high pace at the stumps. And it not only tested the Australian technique, it, it broke the Australian technique of a lot of their players. You know, Azari Joseph is another bowler that bowls high pace and high skill. And then you've got the experience of Kemar Roach. So it's a good bowling attack. Um, the batting, I think, is still a little a little fragile. They do tend to like to play their shots a little bit too much. <laughs> but it was their bowling, not only here in Brisbane, but also in Adelaide, that, that kept them in the game and, and certainly kept the Australians honest. And this good uh, Shamar Joseph um, bowling at that speed, is that the key? Is that the key going forward for cricket and test cricket and all that? Just having that absolute pace and, you know, it's difficult to play. And you guys got good wickets in Australia. So, you know, that ball's yeah. going to carry and it's just hard to play as a batsman, even though I've never faced anything yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think the key to it is, is that, um, and I've talked to a few people in cricket about this post yesterday, is that what Shamar Joseph was doing was not only was he buying bowling high pace, high speeds, but he's actually bowling at the stumps. So that's testing the opposition's defences. Whereas you see a lot in, in modern day test cricket that they'll bowl sort of fourth or fifth stump line. So it's outside off stump, you know, mm-hmm. just short of a length. And a lot of batsmen can leave on length and it becomes a bit of a patience battle. So Shamar Joseph, while he took those seven wickets, he was going at four runs and over because he was being at times driven down the ground and the West Indians were seeing these really aggressive fields to get the, the to get the edges and to try and draw the shot down the ground. So that it was just attacking aggressive test cricket from the West Indies, which saw them get the ten wickets. So I think that was the difference for me, was that Shamar was prepared to pitch the ball up. It was real old school test cricket. Um, we're gonna go on the philosophy if you miss the ball, it's going to hit the stump or hit your pads. And what about um Obviously, he took all those wickets in 10 overs or 11 overs. Could he do that for another 10 with that energy and that pace? Well, I didn't think he could do what he did yesterday. So I don't <laughs> think anyone can, can doubt him. I mean, to, to put it into perspective, the day before, it was hotter 
um, but not a lot hotter than, than it was yesterday. And the Australians were bowling three over spells, coming off, changing their shirt, um, having, uh, having a few <laughs> drinks, sitting in the shade, even inside with a fan, and then going back on and, and then bowling again. Um, whereas Shamar Joseph bowled 10 overs on the bounce um, in really high humidity, and, and he kept getting quicker the more he bowled, the quicker he got. So it was, it was almost defying convention what he was doing. And he was in, you know, we talked to Craig Brathwaite, the captain after the game, and he just kept saying, Shamal was saying, mate, I'm still going. I'm going to keep going until this game is done. Uh, you're not taking the ball out of my hands. So it just shows, the, I guess, the willpower he had. The, the challenge for him is, again, two test matches. He's 24 years of age. Um, four years ago, he didn't even know what the internet was. Um, yeah. So he lived in, and he lived in this riverbank village uh, in the middle of nowhere, with you know virtually no contact to, um, into you know I guess modern society. Um, and then gradually, he sort of he sort of made his way through life. Uh, he's a, he's been a security guard until recently, um, and now all of a sudden he's playing Test cricket and doing so well. And now the challenge for the West Indies is to keep him. Um, because he's going to start getting contract offers all over the place to to go and play franchise cricket, which is you know I just read to think of the offers that he's going to get and the I guess the temptation that's going to be there for him. Yeah, his lack of internet might have come back to bite as far as uh, that comedy made in the press conference regarding I'll say no to those offers to play Test cricket yeah. for Windies. Maybe he doesn't quite know how much. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> he's about to get offered. Uh, mate, before we leave the Windies and talk about some Aussies and other Test cricket, um, I want to know... What sort of scenes? We saw the scenes of the laps that they were running when they were taking wickets. <laughs> Heard Brian Lara was last seen walking into the windy shed with two bottles under the arm. I heard that Hooper was in town. He was the coolest cat ever to play cricket, I reckon. So has there been any sort of speculation? How big have the celebrations been in Brisbane? They're probably still going. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> probably what the case is. Look, it was, it was, that was probably the thing. The thing that stood out to me, there were a few things. Shamar Joseph's pace, which we've talked about, and just exploding the stumps on three or four occasions and his celebrations where he was running off to the boundary. I mean, those are memories that will live with me forever. Yeah. But the other thing that was really, uh, you know, left a lasting impression was I was down on the ground doing the interviews immediately after play. There was Ian Bishop, there was Brian Lara, and there was Carl Hooper. Though the three of them uh, were all part of super teams of the West Indies through the, you know, the 80s and 90s. All of them were in tears, embracing these young men on the boundary. And I don't think there's any doubt that the three of them, particularly Bishop and, and Lara, who've been around the you know, media circles for quite some time, have, have been so frustrated and yeah. uh, almost disenchanted with where West Indian cricket had got to, because they're always the ones that people go to for comments uh, on this team, um, and, and teams previously over the last decade or so. But just to see them so proud of these young players and, and the impact they had on them. And it's fair to say that a lot of these guys would never have seen Brian Lara play because they're so young. And, yeah. you know, Lara's been retired a long time. They all know who he is. But I, I think it's more people like myself. I'm sort of in my mid-40s that idolise the likes of you know Hooper and, and Bishop and Lara growing up. But So to see them so moved by it, it was hard not to get moved myself to, to see, you know, just what it meant to those guys. And now looking at Australia, obviously in 2023, they sort of won everything they could have. Was this a bit of a wake-up call? Or, 
you know, they're still backing themselves to come to New, New Zealand and skittle the black caps real quick. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, it's a really good question. I, I think it is a, it's probably a combination of things. They have had a gruelling schedule. Uh, if you go back to the World um, T20 a tournament that was held in Australia back in October, November of, of, of 2022 into a full summer, then they went immediately to India for four test matches. Then they had the World Test Championship. Then they had the Ashes. Then they had a World Cup. They went to South Africa in between and to India. Um, and then to come back to, and have a home series. A home series where they thought they would win quite comfortably because it was against Pakistan and it was against um, the West Indies. I think they are a bit jaded and a bit tired. Um, and I think they played like that throughout the summer. Um, so, and, and the reality is they haven't got a big break before they head over to, to take on New Zealand. So um, it'd be really interesting to see how they respond from this. Maybe it's to kick up the backside they needed, or maybe they're just tired and jaded and a bit stale. I, I think we'll know the answer to that when these matches are played in New Zealand. Um, I think one thing that the New Zealand team should get a lot of confidence out of is that this Australian batting lineup um, is looking vulnerable. Um, we've seen some change with Steve Smith opening the batting. Yes, it worked in that second innings against the West Indies yesterday. He carried his bat. I'm still not convinced it's the right thing moving forward for Australia and for Steve Smith. Um, they've got a situation where Cameron Green is batting in that prime spot at number four and he's very inexperienced and it's still debatable as to whether that will work. But there's other problems as well. Usman Khawaja and Manus Labashay, neither of those two made centuries through the Australian summer of five test matches. And Labashain particularly looks a man totally out of form. And then you've got Travis Head and Mitch Marsh, who are electric players and dynamic players and match winners on their day, but they are hit and miss. So I think that, um, and certainly yesterday, they were miss. So I think that New Zealand will get a lot of confidence out of uh, taking on an Australian team. You know, you'd like to think bowler-friendly conditions, conditions that Australia generally don't play well in. Um, that they would have to be a definite chance of knocking off Australia. I'm not saying they will, but they'd have to think they're a good chance based on what we've seen through the summer. Because if Pakistan had taken their catches, um, they would have been riding that series against Australia as well. 3-0 doesn't tell the real story about how close those two um, nations were when they went up for those three matches. And uh, I guess, obviously, well and truly looking forward to that test series uh, over here. What is it? Early March, late Feb, I, I think. But yep. we, we're not going to be able to have 150 coming at you. We're going to have, you know, your, your 140s, your, your salve at 135, swing, obviously swinging Wagner, bombarding the boys with balls in the ribs and uh, and obviously Lockie Ferguson now quick he just doesn't play test matches these days or hasn't been tried do you think that's what's going to be the, the difference for that batting lineup, or is it just you, you mentioned all the names who are in and out of form at the moment is it a, is a fact that it, it's just the bat, batsmanship at the moment that's, that's gone a bit awry or is it just the express pace that's really troubling them No I don't, I don't think it has to be I don't think it's a pace thing I, I think if, if there are bowler friendly wickets produced so pace doesn't really matter then if the ball is swinging around and it's seaming around and it's testing the australian's technique i still think that is new zealand's best chance now by doing that it also makes obviously new zealand's batting a little vulnerable there might be some quick test matches but i i think i think you know new zealand need to go in here am I an Australian here telling New Zealand how to beat Australia, but 
I think if New Zealand want to win or, or want it to be competitive, they need to create sporting wickets that give themselves the best chance. And to win a test match, you've got to take 20 wickets. Yep. So I feel that you know, if they were to provide wickets that were good to bat on, then yes, I think that the, you know, the lack of balls or the lack of air speed that some of the New Zealand bowlers have got will make it difficult to take the, the 20 wickets needed to, to win a test match. But if they are green wickets, and we often see green wickets at Hagley Oval or yep. at the Basin, um, then I, I think it's I think it's a, going to be a really good contest. And I'm just really disappointed that it's only going to be two matches. We need at least three. Two's just two's nothing. It's like with you know the West Indies in Australia. Imagine if there was a third Test match coming up this weekend. How much more interest there would be in it because it's one all going into the decider. Um, I think Australia, and New Zealand, they deserve to have more than just two Test matches. And I think New Zealand cricket fans deserve to have more than just two test matches uh, between, you know, the, the great the great rivals of the Tasman. And I mean they're not expensive flights um, these days. I mean uh, I'm sure I'm sure we could even afford to maybe put on Jetstar to go home and uh, just change that to make sure we have got a third one. Hey mate, before we leave you, you're right. That series is uh, is very very much on the sporting calendar over here. We cannot wait to have uh, your champion Australians over here. But Baz Ball, obviously leading into the Ashes last year, there was, I guess, some remarks that I guess you were thinking coming out of Australia that, oh, yeah, okay, it works against these guys. It's not going to work against Cummins and, and the likes. Then there was now the chat pre-series going, Baz Ball to India. There's no way it can work. What do you make of it? They got the job done, they, uh, and they did it in, in a way that's, uh, as you say, great for Test cricket. Yeah, it is. I think Brendan McCullum has been one of the best things for Test cricket in the last 25 years um, because I think he's come up with a different way of playing the game. I think sometimes Baz Ball is overblown a little bit. Um, I yeah. don't think it's kamikaze cricket by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. <laughs> yeah. um, but what it is, is and, and I'm serious by saying this, is that it is Brendan McCullum giving a hell of a lot of confidence to his players to express themselves and play the way that they want to play. And he's taking away the fear of failure. And I think that's the key to the difference with England now is when they play, they're not having this... There's this often been this air about them that they're just you know a moment away from a spectacular collapse. They're a moment away from losing. They've got this... They've always had this sort of loser-type mentality or, you know, it's better to draw than, than, than to, you know, maybe lose. You know, like, you know, they're, they're never prepared to risk losing to win. That's always been the issue, I think, with English cricket. That's changed with McCullum. You know, we saw that in the very first day of the, of the Test Series back in the Ashes where England declared late on the first day and put Australia in. Now, that was, in a way, totally ridiculous, and it probably cost them the death match. <laughs> but, it, but what it did was it actually gave... It showed, it was a signal of, the, of intent that we are here to win, not just to compete, not yep. just maybe draw where they're to win. And I think that while they did lose that first test match, the Australians knew that they were in for a fight, and ultimately ended up being 2-2. And I think that's a bit the same with uh, what's happening in that first test match against India. They've thrown up the most crazy-looking team on paper. And even a lot of uh, English, um, former English test players and a lot of the media are saying, what is Brendan McCullum doing? This is ridiculous. But again, he defies convention. He puts out a team that he thinks can win. 
and they go out there and play like they expect to win. And I think that's the difference. That's what baseball is. It's just changing the mindset and the intent as opposed to saying, oh, you know, we're going to go and run a ball or yeah. seven runs and over and we're going to set these crazy fields. I think that's a bit overblown. I think it's more this mindset shift. And, you know, you guys know the way Brendan McCullum played his cricket. That's the way he played. And now he's got getting his players to play like it. And don't underestimate the impact of Ben Stokes because Ben Stokes, he's like-minded with McCullum and um, he's such a strong leader, such an inspirational figure in that group. And, you know, they're, they're kind of trying to play a bit like he does. There you go, Adam. I only took two New Zealanders to turn English cricket around. Uh, can't <laughs> wait for him to get back over here. But, mate, hey, thanks so much for joining us. We have absolutely loved having you on to recap that incredible day yesterday. And uh, we'll try and catch up before and during that incredible series that we're all excited to on this side of a ditch uh, later on this summer. No, no problems anytime.